Well, when I need help at my house, like doing something handy or construction wise, I, I phone a friend. I call Mark, I call Brandon, I call Pops. Pops is Darby's dad, my father-in-law, who's a member here at the city church. I call them, they come and do the work and I watch. That's how I help. I just watch them and say, man, way to go. <laughs> Good job. Uh, I can hold a ladder. I can hold it in place. Um, I can go get a screwdriver or a hammer or some lemonade or tea. Like I can help. I can help in that way, but I'm just not much of a helper. Now, if someone calls me to come and move something or lift something, I, I can help do that. I'm just not much of a handyman. I'm not much of a helper. Well, in John 14 through 16, Jesus said, it's better if I go to the Father. He told his disciples this. It's better if I go, because if I go, then he said this, another helper, it's the Greek word parakletos, another helper will come with you and upon you and in you. Another helper, Jesus said, like me, another in that it's like me will come and help you. And the Holy Spirit is a better helper, <laughs> trust me, than I could ever be. And so today we're gonna see how the Holy Spirit helps us. We're finishing up a series called Creed today. Creeds are one of the ways throughout church history that the church has tried to simply express our theology in creeds. Like we've said this each week at this series and every year, a creed is like a fat guy in a little coat, right? It gives us handles kind of by, by which we can express our knowledge and understanding of God while not ever completely containing an eternal God because that would be impossible. And so some examples throughout church history have been the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed. And this is a series we come back to each year in order to know basic Christian theology. You see, there's a lot that we can disagree on, minors, and still have fellowship together as a church. But there's some things that we cannot disagree on because we would lose the gospel or objective truth. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, watch your doctrine or your theology, what you believe about God, watch it closely, right? Closely. He told Timothy and Titus, teach good doctrine and correct bad doctrine. So that, that means there's good doctrine and bad doctrine. There's right theology and wrong theology. And so part of my job is to teach good theology, good doctrine, and then to correct bad doctrine and bad theology. So studying theology, studying doctrine, it creates stable, deep Christians that aren't blown back and forth like Paul would say in Ephesians chapter four. No, they have a firm foundation by which they can stand. And so we've said this before, but our, our goal is not crowds and, and, and numbers. Now we want people to come, but, but the ultimate goal is deep committed disciples of Jesus that know what they believe and why they believe what they believe. We're going for what we've called a remnant people. A remnant is a people who remain faithful to God and to his word and to his ways in spite the, of the direction the culture is headed. And just a quick word on that, the, 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 the direction that culture is headed. Next week, we start a new series called Countercultural, where we're going to be talking about what the Bible has to say about gender in week one, sexuality in week two, and then our approach to a culture who disagrees with us on week three. So that's coming up next week. But, but, but this series, today, we are concluding on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, a value in our church is to be a church of the word and the spirit, of the rudder on a sailboat and the wind. We need the wind of the Holy Spirit and we need the rudder of the word to keep us in line. 
I've heard it said that all word and no spirit and you dry up, but all spirit and no word and you can blow up, but enough of both, you grow up. And that's what we're going for, word and spirit. And so in part one, we talked about who is the Holy Spirit. We said the Holy Spirit's God, the Holy Spirit's a person. And so that means the Holy Spirit is God with us, God with his people. In part two, we talked about receiving the Holy Spirit or baptism in the Holy Spirit and then the filling of the Holy Spirit. And we said there's one baptism, but many fillings of the Holy Spirit, many encounters with the Holy Spirit that a Christian, a follower of Jesus, should seek. Baptism in the Spirit is a positional change. It makes you right with God and you're born again into the family of God, while the filling of the Holy Spirit is this ongoing experiential transformation through the power of the Holy Spirit. We said it's not about losing control, but it's about giving control to the Lord of every part of who we are. This week, we're talking about the works of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So we're talking about what the Holy Spirit does in and through our lives. So now's a great time to get out our app. It's called the City Church Lubbock. If you don't have our app, you can download it in your app store. It's called the City Church Lubbock. Download that app, go to message notes, and all the verses and the points and the quotes will be there. That's a great way to stay engaged in our time together by filling in the blank as we go. And you can even email those notes to yourself when we're done. Michael Byrd in his evangelical theology, it's what he called his systematic theology. It's a big, big book. He said this about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit turns theology into experience by drawing us into the life of God. The Spirit operates in and through the church to bring spiritual life and to make the message of Jesus known to the world. The Spirit is why we have a relationship with God and not simply a religion about God. So how does this happen? What does this look like for the Spirit of God to work in and through the church? Number one, we're going to talk about the works of the Holy Spirit. The works of the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit kind of doing behind the scenes in our lives and through our lives and in the church? Number one, the vivifying work of the Holy Spirit. The vivifying work of the Holy Spirit. This is where God, through his spirit, brings life to non-life. We see this in creation, right? There's no life. God speaks and there's the world, the earth and the universe and everything that inhabits it bringing life to non-life. In Genesis chapter two, God gives the breath of life to Adam. When he blows into Adam, the, the breath of life, that's the, the spirit of God bringing life to non-life. On a corporate level or a national level, we, we see this happening with the nation of Israel in Ezekiel chapter 37, where there's this account of the spirit giving life to exiled Israel, like breath coming upon a valley of dry bones. And they come back to life. The image of spirit as the life giver is even more prominent in the New Testament. Jesus would say in John chapter six, the spirit gives life. It's the Holy Spirit bringing life to, to non-life. Jesus said in John six, the words I've spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life. Paul would say in Romans chapter eight, verses 10 and 11, if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, your body, your physical body will die. The spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, if the spirit of God is living in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the spirit who lives in you. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, 
God has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Second Corinthians six, verse three, the spirit gives life, brings life to non-life. This is the vivifying work of the Holy Spirit. We see it in creation. We see it in regeneration. If you were here for the end of our series on the gospel of Luke, we talked about the regeneration that happens when a believer is converted. They were dead in their sin. They believe the gospel. They're regenerated. That's where life, spiritual life comes into you. There was non-life before. There was no life. You were spiritually dead. But then the spirit, as we read just a second ago, gives life. And that conversion experience, regeneration is a work of the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Holy Spirit has been called throughout, throughout church history, the hound of heaven. There's the Holy Spirit of God that's after every single one of you. And when you gave your life to Jesus, it was because the hound of heaven, the Holy Spirit came after you. As Jesus said, no one comes to the Father unless the Holy Spirit draws them to the Father. And so it's the Holy Spirit that drew you to the Father. It's the Holy Spirit of God that helped you believe the gospel. You were dead in your sins. You were spiritually dead. But the Holy Spirit of God came after you and brought life to non-life and saved you. That's the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit where God brings life to non-life in redemption, the hound of heaven coming after you. In fact, I talked with a man uh, recently who told me that, hey man, I'm, I'm just not there yet, but I feel like I'm open and I'm willing and I wanna know more. And man, we both just kind of teared up and I said, God's coming after you. It's just a matter of time because the Holy Spirit's after you. And the reason you're here and the reason you're open and the reason you're willing is because God is drawing you to himself through the Holy Spirit. That's the hound of heaven coming after every single one of us. That you might believe the great news of the gospel. It's the vivifying work of the Holy Spirit that brings renewal to a believer who's grown cold, who's grown apathetic, who's just going through the motions. And we talked about that last week, right? That there's a lot of us that just kind of show up to church for attendance sake. We're going through the motions of, uh, of religion. Uh, we're, we're just here kind of watching the, 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 the clock, right? Um, that, that's that's a, a believer sometimes that has grown cold and apathetic, has grown insensitive to the working of the Holy Spirit, but the, the Holy Spirit, the regen or the vivifying work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer brings renewal, brings revival. It, it makes you live again where you begin to desire the things of the Lord all over again. Maybe it's been a while because you, you ran away from the Lord or you ran away from the church and you, and you come back to the Lord and you start pursuing the Lord once again. That's the renewing work, reviving work of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, there's the comforting work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus called the Holy Spirit, once again, the parakletos. That's the Greek word that means comforter or advocate or helper. It's the Holy Spirit of God that comes around you and can envelop you when you're suffering or when you're going through that, that, that trial and maybe you're wondering where God is. And then at a certain point, all of a sudden you feel the presence of God around you and surrounding you and bringing comforts. That's the comforting work of the Holy Spirit. God with you through the Holy Spirit, holding your hand through it all. It's through the Holy Spirit that God is actually with you and walks with you. 
and comforts you. Next is the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. The empowering work of the Holy Spirit to give you strength, to give you courage, to give you boldness. First of all, to be a witness for Jesus. Jesus told his disciples in Acts 1, wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power to be my witnesses. It's the Holy Spirit of God that empowers you, that gives you boldness and courage to be a witness for Jesus. It's the empowering work of the Spirit to give you strength, courage, and boldness to remain faithful to God even when the circumstances are dire. Even when your flesh is tempting you to turn away. Even when your doubt is tempting you to, to turn away. When your questions are tempting you to turn away. It's the Holy Spirit of God that works in you to produce faithfulness, to empower you to remain faithful when you might turn away otherwise, that empowers you to persevere when, when you're suffering or when you're in the midst of that trial. It's the Holy Spirit of God that empowers you to persevere. It empowers you to turn from sin and walk in holiness. That's the Holy Spirit of God empowering you to do what you can never do for yourself. It's why we say all the time, you're not going to do better and try harder your way into the kingdom of God or really even your way into repentance. It's the Holy Spirit of God that empowers you to break free from sin and to walk into holiness, which brings us to the next work of the Holy Spirit, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that produces holiness inside of us because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of what? Holiness. It's a spirit of holiness that gives us a passion for purity, a hatred for our sin and a desire to walk in repentance and in holiness. Jesus said the Holy Spirit would convict you regarding sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, to our world today, that doesn't sound very encouraging, right? That sounds kind of judgmental, but Jesus said that's what the Holy Spirit does. And so sometimes you're going to feel convicted. And that's not judgment per se. It's conviction from the Holy Spirit that you're living and walking in sin, and that's going to go badly for you. And so it's the Holy Spirit of God that brings a conviction, Jesus said, of sin, of righteousness, and the judgment that is to come if I don't give my life to Jesus, or even as a Christian, the discipline God might enact because of my ongoing sin and lack of repentance. So it's the Holy Spirit that convicts us regarding sin, righteousness, and judgment. It's the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit that brings spiritual growth and maturity that gives me a passion for the scriptures and, and for prayer and for studying the word of God and for meditating on the word of God. It's the Holy Spirit of God that produces spiritual growth and maturity. It's the Holy Spirit of God, that sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit that gives you a passion for living for the glory of God instead of a small and insignificant story about you. It's the Holy Spirit of God that, that, that drives and, and, and pumps with purpose to live for a story that's bigger than you, to give yourself to something that's bigger than yourself. That's the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Now, Francis Chan in his book, Forgotten God, said this about this sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. He said, the Holy Spirit of God will mold you into the person you were made to be. This often incredibly painful process. Don't miss that. 
living in the spirit, walking by the spirit, growing in the Holy Spirit, and what the Holy Spirit's gonna produce in you, it can often be an incredibly painful process. And he said this, it strips you of selfishness, pride, and fear. For a powerful example of this, read in C.S. Lewis's book, The Voyage of the Don Treader, about the boy Eustace, who becomes a dragon. In order to become a little boy again, he must undergo a tremendous amount of pain as the dragon's skin is peeled away and torn from him. Only after he endures this painful process is he truly transformed from a dragon back into a boy. Sometimes the sin we take on becomes such a part of us that it requires the same kind of ripping and tearing to free us. The Holy Spirit does not seek to hurt us, but he does seek to make us Christ-like. And this can be painful. This is the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Next is the revealing work of the Holy Spirit. The revealing work of the Holy Spirit to guide you, to, to guide you, Jesus said, into truth, to guide you in decisions that you need to make. It's the Holy Spirit, James, is that, that will give you godly wisdom for the situation you find yourself in. It, it's the Holy Spirit by, through which God speaks to you. Henry Blackaby said, God speaks to us by the Holy Spirit through the word of God, prayer, the church, the body of Christ, and your circumstances. And that through those four avenues, God will speak to you through the Holy Spirit in these ways. So that's the revealing work of the Holy Spirit, where, where God speaks to you, and, and then next, shows you things. Sometimes the Holy Spirit's gonna show you something. It might be a picture, it might be a, a vision, it might be an outcome. That's the Holy Spirit of God speaking to you, guiding you, and then showing you something even. The revealing work of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit reminding you, Jesus said, of all that I've said. Jesus told his disciples, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. You'll receive the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will remind you of everything that I've said. So the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit says rather, will always agree with what the Holy Spirit has already revealed in the scripture. In other words, the Holy Spirit will never tell you something that disagrees with what the Holy Spirit has already written in the scriptures. So we're gonna to get to the more of that in just a second, but it's the Holy Spirit of God that inspired the writing of scripture. So because the Holy Spirit is consistent and never changes and is not going to say something that contradicts what the Holy Spirit has already said, we always take what we sense God's saying to us through the Holy Spirit and we submit it to what God has already told us by his spirit in his word. Because the Holy Spirit will never say something that disagrees with what the Holy Spirit has already said. This is the revealing work of the Holy Spirit. Next is the unifying work of the Holy Spirit. The unifying work of the Holy Spirit. When you read through the book of Acts, you'll find that it often says that the church was all together. They're together. They're unified. They're, they're in relationship with one another, all together. It's gonna to say this over and over and over again. They were of one heart and one mind. That means they're on the same page. They're on the same team. They're, they're, they're unified of one heart and one mind. And then it says this about the, the, the church, that none of them considered that what they had was their own. 
money, property, anything. They say, it says that none of them thought that anything they had, any of their possessions, any of their money, any, anything like that. It says that they didn't think of it as their own, that they thought of it belonging to the community of believers. And so it says that oftentimes people in the church would come with money or possessions, or they would sell land and they would bring that money to the apostles to distribute, it says, to any who were in need. Because none of them considered that anything they had was their own. It wasn't about me, it was about we. This is the unifying work of the Holy Spirit that takes strangers and turns them into family who love each other so much that those who are in plenty will give so that those who are in need have more, have enough. And where we all give to help the spread of the gospel. Because it's not about me, it's about we. This is the unifying work of the Holy Spirit. And then finally, the inscripturating work of the Holy Spirit. Inscripturating. This is a big word that Michael Byrd uses in his systematic theology, talking about this process that I'm going to describe to you here next. But this is the inscripturating work of the Holy Spirit. This is a process that describes how God publicizes or announces, reveals his word, the scripture, and then preserves this special revelation of himself through the medium of human authors and what is now called the biblical canon, inscripturating, where God spoke to prophets and apostles. They wrote down the words of scripture. Those what we call original autographs were then copied into manuscripts so that they could be distributed to other churches all throughout the Middle East area, to the known world at that time. And then the process by which the Holy Spirit led the church to say, this is scripture and this isn't, specifically with the New Testament. This is the inscripturating work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who inspired the authors to write scripture and then the one who preserves this special revelation of God. It's why we say here most weeks, Jesus said, you will always have my words and my words will never pass away, right? You'll always have my words. And so we trust that the scripture is the word of God because Jesus, the son of God said, you'll always have my words. And the way that happened is through the inscripturating work of the Holy Spirit, whereby the Holy Spirit spoke to the authors as they wrote, enabled and empowered copyists, scribes, to then copy those original manuscripts, or original autographs into manuscripts, and then the work of the Holy Spirit in the church to determine, hey, this is scripture and this isn't. That's the inscripturating process. Second Peter chapter one, Peter said this. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. Peter says the scripture didn't come from a prophet or apostle's own initiative or from their own understanding. No, watch what Peter says. Those prophets, the apostles, they were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from who? God. God. So when we read the scriptures, we're reading the words of God. Men? No. We're reading the words of God. 
because it was the Holy Spirit who spoke to these prophets and apostles so that they might reveal, write down and preserve the word of God. Paul would say in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is inspired by who? God. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true. And then watch what scripture does as well, because it's God's word. It makes us realize what's wrong in our lives. So sometimes you're going to read the scripture. And as Paul says, it's going to correct us when we're wrong. And it's going to teach us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Some translations of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 say this, all scripture is God breathed. It's the Greek word theonoustos. It's the wind. That's what that word means. It's the wind of God. It's the breath of God. Theonoustos. So the question is, is this still happening today? What am I talking about? Inscripturating. Does God is God still speaking to people to write down words from God that then become scripture for the church? The answer, no. No, this is not continuing to happen today. Uh, John and others made it very clear that if you add to or take away from the word of God, then all the curses written in this book will be upon you. That's how serious it is. There are no words from the Lord today that are scripture. Every word from God that anyone receives today must be submitted to the scripture. Because this process is done. It ended with the New Testament canon. So God still speaks, but it isn't scripture. And when he speaks, we submit it to the scripture to make sure that what we're hearing is really the Holy Spirit of God. These are the works of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, we're gonna talk about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We find this in Galatians chapter six, that when you live in the Spirit and you walk by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit's gonna produce these characteristics in your life. Number one, love, a love for God, a love for his word, a love for the church, the body of Christ, a love for the lost, a love for prayer, a love for worship, a love for serving, a love for giving. The Holy Spirit's going to produce love in you. Secondly, the Holy Spirit produces the fruit of joy. This is a joy in the Lord. It's a joy in your salvation. And it's a joy that shows your affections are rightly placed in God's will and in his purposes, resulting in joy in spite of your circumstances. Next is peace. The Holy Spirit will produce peace in your life. This is a calmness confidence. You ever been around someone who's been walking with the Lord for 20, 30 years? A lot of times there's a peace, there's a calmness, there's a confidence about them that maybe those of us who are younger in our faith or younger in years just don't quite have yet. Because of their time with the Lord, they've begun to understand and they've realized that the joy of the Lord, that, that peace is really found in their relationship with God. And so it's the Holy Spirit that produces this calmness, this confidence, it's a peace. They're not rocked back and forth by everything that happens in their life or in this world. Next is patience. The fruit of the Spirit produces is patience. It's a grace towards others, knowing that God has been gracious towards you. It's a patience with others, knowing that God has been patient with you. And so you're going to be patient with your husband, 
with your wife, with your kids, with your coworkers, with your neighbors, because God has been patient with you. The fruit of the spirit is patience. Next is kindness. Followers of Jesus should not be jerks. We shouldn't be arrogant. We have nothing to be arrogant about. Jesus said we were sick and we realized we needed a doctor. There's nothing to be arrogant about in the life of a follower of Jesus. Kindness is a generosity. It's an empathy towards others. Goodness. This is working for the benefit of others instead of yourself. Like Paul said in Philippians, we're, we're out for the interest of others before ourselves. That's goodness, working for the benefit of others instead of myself. Faithfulness, this is a consistency in the Lord in spite of the cost or in spite of the circumstances or in spite of the discomfort. I'm going to remain faithful. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Next is gentleness. Followers of Jesus should never be forceful or harsh. The fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. And then finally, the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. This is a Holy Spirit-empowered discipline to resist temptation, to resist the desires of our flesh. It's why we never say, once again, do better and try harder. Our hope is in Christ. And then our hope to continue repenting of sin and walking in holiness, our hope is in the Holy Spirit driven, empowered, disciplined to resist temptation. These are the fruits of the Spirit. They're not fruits of your work. They're not fruits that come through money or power or success. They're not fruits that come through relationships with people. These are fruits of the Holy Spirit that grow in us over time as we walk in the spirit and live by the spirit. We'll, we'll see these characteristics growing in us. And so fruit of the spirit are spiritual characteristics that grow in every believer in Jesus and take time. Now, next, we're gonna talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And the gifts of the Holy Spirit are spiritual capabilities that you receive instantly when you become a follower of Jesus or as the Spirit decides to grant a gift at any moment in time, which the Holy Spirit can do, but that gift is received instantly. You might grow in your use of the gift, but they're received instantly. And the Holy Spirit selects who gets what gifts. They're not for everybody. Every follower of Jesus gets a gift or two or three, but there's not one believer that has all the gifts. So fruit of the spirit are spiritual characteristics that are for every follower of Jesus that we grow in over time. Gifts of the Holy Spirit are given as the spirit selects to each individual follower of Jesus. They are immediately received and then we grow in them. These are not natural talents. Talents you receive from birth. Gifts of the Holy Spirit you receive by new birth when you are regenerated and receive the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul said to the Corinthians, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts, which means there is objective truth about gifts. 
Many people think that the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the use and the workings of the gifts are very subjective. I get to decide how I use them and, and how they work and, and, and when to use them. And that's not true. The Holy Spirit through Paul has said there is objective truth about gifts, what they're for and how to use them. Now, a year ago in our Creed series, we, we talked about the doctrine of the church. In week three, part three, we talked about how the church works. And we talked about every gift that we see in the New Testament. And we gave a short description and definition for each one. And so today we're just gonna talk about gifts broadly speaking, but if you wanna know about individual gifts of the spirit, go back to that series, Creed in 2022, part three, a doctrine of the church. And we talked about each individual gift of the Holy Spirit. But Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse six, God works in different ways, but is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other, so that we can all grow and mature in Christ. Now watch what he says. To one person, the spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. Stop right there. Wise advice is the gift of wisdom. This is supernatural insight combined with understanding of what the Bible says to do and how to do it. So to one, he gives the ability for wise advice. Watch what he says next. To, to another, the same spirit gives a message of special knowledge. Now, this is the gift of knowledge. The gift of knowledge is supernatural knowledge of a situation or insight into a person or situation. The same spirit gives great faith to another. This is the ability to trust God to do the impossible. You've been around people like this before. Uh, and for those of us that don't have the gift of faith and you're around someone with the gift of faith, they can be quite annoying, right? Because they're just like, hey, God, God's gonna do it, brother. And no matter how difficult the situation is, God's got this, he can do it. And you're just like, oh my gosh. So they're so positive, right? But we need those people with the gift of faith. Paul says, and to someone else, the spirit gives the gift of healing. Those are people who find that their prayers for healing are answered more frequently and more thoroughly than others. To another, he gives one person the power to perform miracles. Miracles is the working of divine power and deliverance, intervention, or against demonic warfare. And another, the ability to prophesy. Now, the gift of prophecy is not telling the future. It's not even powerful preaching. The gift of prophecy is the gift of telling something that God spontaneously brings to your mind. Next, he gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the spirit of God or from another spirit. This is the gift of discernment. It's to quickly perceive whether something is from God or from Satan. Still another person, Paul says, is given the ability to speak in unknown languages while another person is given the ability to interpret what is being said. The gift of Tongues is what Paul is referring to here. The gift of speaking an unknown language and the gift of tongues is public or private prayer or praise spoken in syllables not understood by the speaker. And the gift of interpretation is the ability to report to the church something that was spoken in tongues if it was done in a public gathering of the church. Paul would say that's usually not ideal. Usually the gift of tongues is to be used in private because... Otherwise, no one knows what they're saying and it needs to be interpreted. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. So Paul says, it's one and only spirit. It's the one and only spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides. Say that with me, three words. He alone decides. Who decides who gets what gift? He alone 
It's the spirit of God. No one, you don't get to decide. No one else decides for you. He alone decides, Paul says, which gift each person should have. It's the Holy Spirit who selects who gets what gift of the Spirit. So Paul would go on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 29, are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages or in tongues? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages or, or tongues? Do we? Paul says, of course not. Of course not. No one gets all the gifts of the Spirit. We're one body that has many parts and we need each other. So one person's gonna get this gift and the person's gonna get that gift and the person's gonna get this other gift. Why? Because in a body, you all need each other. You need each part. We all need each other. If we're gonna grow spiritually, if we're gonna mature in Christ, we need every follower of Jesus using their gift and operating in their gift, which means this church needs you. The church needs you. Not, not because we need more volunteers and kids, but we do. Not because we need more greeters, and, and, and we do. Not, not because we need more of this, we do. We need more of everything, right? But because you have a gift the Holy Spirit has given you, that means the church is missing out when you aren't using your gift. We need you. We all need it. I need you. You need me. We all need each other. There are no lone rangers in the body of Christ. There is not one follower of Jesus that is just good with Jesus in them. I've got my Bible and I've got Jesus, so I'm okay. No, you're not. There are no lone rangers in the body of Christ. You're a body part. Every last one of you made to work with the rest of the body. So you need us and we need you because this is a body and no one has all the gifts. There are no lone rangers in the body of Christ. Michael Bird and his evangelical theology said this, a spiritual gift is an empowerment from God for God's people through the spirit for the spiritual work in the church. Some gifts appear to magnify ordinary attitudes and talents like leadership, generosity, helping, while other gifts are out of the ordinary and have a supernatural quality like prophecy or tongues. Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology said this about spiritual gifts. A spiritual gift is any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church. Spiritual gifts are given to equip the church to carry out its ministry until Christ returns. So let me say a few words about gifts of the Holy Spirit and their operation and what we believe about them in our church. Number one, in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 7, Paul says this to the Corinthians, you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul says, while we wait for Jesus to return, we will not be lacking in any spiritual gift. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 10, Paul says this, specifically about prophecy in tongues and words of knowledge. He says this, they will remain until the time of perfection comes. There is no doubt that's talking about when Christ returns in the fullness of his kingdom. So Paul says, 1 verse 7, 
We're not lacking in any spiritual gift as we wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 10, prophecy, tongues, words of knowledge, they will remain until the time of perfection comes. Here's what this translates to. We are what you call continuationists. We believe that all the gifts of the Holy Spirit are in operation in the church today. All the gifts should be in operation. We are not what you call cessationist, which means that the gifts, especially the more supernatural ones, that the gifts ceased in the New Testament era. No, because of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, 1 Corinthians 13, we believe that all the gifts should be in operation today, just like they were in the early church. Secondly, in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 9 and 10, Paul says that gifts, specifically prophecy, words of knowledge, in our hands are used what he calls partially or in part. Because we don't see the whole picture because we, don't, we, we aren't in the kingdom of God yet and because of our sin and our flesh, because we're, we're not perfect, we use these gifts and we operate in these gifts imperfectly. And so Paul, to the Corinthians, is actually rebuking them for their selfish, arrogant, confusing use of the gifts. And so he gives them direction on how to use the gifts because it's not up to you to decide how to use the gifts. Paul has told us how to use each gift in the scriptures. And so here's what Paul is basically saying to the Corinthians because the Corinthians are out of control in their use of the gifts. They're using them selfishly, arrogantly, dangerously, confusingly, and so Paul brings a rebuke on how to use the gifts. So here's, here's what Paul is basically saying. Submit your experience to the scripture. We, we've all had experiences in our background, whether cessationist or what, what, what will you call sensationalist, where you're just after the, the, the gifts and the manifestations and that, that's all you really care about, right? So, so whatever your background, whatever your experience, whatever your gift, you're always to submit your experience of the gifts to the scriptures. It's not up to you to decide how to use your gift and how they work and how they operate often. God is going to work in you, producing the fruit of the Spirit, before he works through you to use your gift of the Spirit. And if you're not growing in the fruit of the Spirit, then you're going to use your gift immaturely, dangerously, and selfishly, and arrogantly, and then God will hinder the use of your gift. So, we believe all the gifts are in operation, but secondly, we submit our experience, we submit our gifts and how they're to be used through to the, the, the scripture because we, we will use them imperfectly. And then third, we said this last week, we're gonna say it in a different way this week, we seek the giver of the gifts and not necessarily the gift itself. Now Paul's gonna say, eagerly pursue the gifts. But we're talking about priority here. We seek the giver of the gifts and, and, and the gifts come. But... The gift, Paul's going to say, is not the goal. The goal in the use of gifts is the edification of the church. In other words, our mutual growth in Christ. That's the goal of the gift. So, yes, we seek gifts of the Spirit for the sake of the church and the glory of God. 
That's why we seek the gifts. We seek the giver of the gifts and, and, and the gifts come and then we, we properly use the gift because our heart is for the Lord and the growth of the church. Paul would say that the gifts are given so the body of Christ might be built up. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26. So your gift is to primarily be used in the local expression of the church. It's not that you can't use it outside of the church. It's just primarily the gifts are for the growth and the building up of the church. Now, if you're like, man, I don't, I don't know what my gift is. I, I would challenge you. Your first step is to get into a small group. One of our city groups, because as you get to know other followers of Jesus and they get to know you, you start seeing the way other people are wired and even gifted by the Holy Spirit. And people will encourage you and people will call that out in you. And you'll say maybe to a brother or sister in Christ, man, I'm sensing that I'm gifted in this way. And they're going to either confirm that or they're going to not confirm it. And they're going to say, bro, you're way off, right? <laughs> man, I've got the gift of preaching and teaching. Sister, you can't put two words together, okay? So maybe not, right? So, so they're going to bring confirmation or maybe not confirm what, what, what you're sensing. One of the ways you can, uh, you can get an idea, it's not, it's not foolproof, okay, but it's to take a spiritual gifts test. And we have those available under the prayer tab on our app right now. And you can then go to your small group and say, hey, brother, this is what I you know, kind of scored on my spiritual gifts test. This is what I'm sensing. I, I'm not sure about these. I, I, I do kind of feel like maybe these are in line. What do you think? And you can get some confirmation there. Here's the big idea today. The Holy Spirit will work in you and through you if you're a follower of Jesus. There's no doubt about it. The Holy Spirit will work in you to bring life and, and, and sanctification and, and comfort when you're struggling. The Holy Spirit will produce the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit inside of you. And then the Holy Spirit's gonna work through you as you use your gift of the Holy Spirit. Francis Chan said in his book, Forgotten God, the reality is that the early church knew less about the Holy Spirit than most of us in the church today, at least in the intellectual sense. But they came to know the Holy Spirit. They came to know the Holy Spirit intimately and powerfully as he worked in and through their lives. And so if you're like after this series, maybe you've been here every week and you're like, man, I'm not sure what to think about all this. That is totally okay because together, we're gonna to get to know the Holy Spirit intimately and powerfully as he works in us and through us. But Francis Chan would also caution us, warn us in his book, Forgotten God. He said this, however, you don't need the Holy Spirit if you're merely seeking to live a semi-moral life and attend church regularly. You're just gonna go through the motions. She's gonna show up once a month. She's gonna to try to be a basically good person. You don't need the Holy Spirit because that's not what a Christian is. He said, you can find people of all sorts like this in many religions doing quite nicely without him. You only need the Holy Spirit's guidance and help if you truly want to follow the way of Jesus Christ. 
You only need him if you desire to obey everything that he commanded and teach others to do the same. You only need the Holy Spirit if you have genuinely repented and believed on the Lord Jesus. And you only need the Holy Spirit if you understand you are called to share in Christ's sufferings and death as well as his resurrection. And listen, that is who we are. We are a people here at this church who are really trying to follow the way of Jesus and be used by Jesus to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. That's what we're going for. Listen, I have been up front with you and with this church over and over and over again that this is not a church you just attend and watch. Now, it starts with attendance, but it starts with showing up. You, you gotta be with the body in order to be the body, right? It, it starts there, but it's about so much more than that. And so if you just want a church to like attend and, and, and watch and just kind of go through the motions of religion, this isn't the place for you. You're gonna hate it here and you're gonna end up hating me, I promise. Why? Because I will never be satisfied with that in myself or in you. I will never be satisfied with a church like that, where we just go through the motions, where we give lip service to God and sing songs and show up and check a box. That, that is not who we are. We are genuinely trying to follow the way of Jesus and be used by Jesus to be his witnesses and all the other. We're, we're, we're going for deep discipleship, for a family of disciples that make disciples. That's what we're going for. Truly trying to follow the way of Jesus. And so because of that, we need the Holy Spirit. And if that's who you are, then you need the Holy Spirit of God to come and do in you and for you and through you what you could never do for yourself. So to close this series, I kind of want to speak to two different groups from two different backgrounds. Two different backgrounds. Some of you grew up in a denomination, in a background, in a tradition that quenched the Holy Spirit. Maybe they were cessationists. They didn't believe in the use of all the gifts. They neglected the gifts or maybe just neglected the, the Holy Spirit of God. So, so maybe that was you. You, you. you grew up in a tradition or uh, in a background that just quenched the Holy Spirit. Others of us grew up in a tradition or a background that we'll call sensationalist, that they, they weren't satisfied unless someone was shaking on the ground and speaking in tongues, right? If people aren't shaking and speaking in tongues, then must, the Holy Spirit must not be working because that's the only evidence of the, of the Holy Spirit. Both groups have abused the Holy Spirit, either by neglecting him, quenching him, or by sensationalizing him only after the manifestation, only after the gift. I know there's people in this room from both backgrounds. In fact, to a degree, all of us fall in one of those two camps. We all fall in one of those two stories. And so when we talk about the Holy Spirit, some of us get scared. Oh man, I, I don't want that. I've seen that. I ran away from that. People get disillusioned in their faith all the time by health, wealth, and prosperity and by these over-sensationalizing the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. 
And so we start talking about the spirit and some people get scared. And then some of you are like frothing at the mouth. Like, yeah, they finally get it. Yeah, it's about to get crazy and weird. Both traditions have abused the Holy Spirit and have misused scripture. So I wanna just close this series by talking about what we're going for and what we're not going for. We, we've said over and over and over again at our church and especially at our membership lunches that we are charismatic with seatbelts. And the seatbelts are all in the word of God. We've said that we're continuationists, believing in all the gifts of the Holy Spirit in operation today. I, I would probably clarify that and say that we're careful continuationists. And so here are some of the seatbelts that we're talking about, what we're going for, what we're not going for. First seatbelt is humility. We're going to expect every single person in our church to submit their experience, to submit the use of their gift to scripture because the Holy Spirit inspired scripture and to submit their gift and the use of their gift to our leadership. It's humility. The best example I've seen of this humility, especially with a gift of prophecy is Barry, our, our prayer and missions pastor. Barry will come up in our church and he'll give a word of prophecy. Maybe he's, he's prayed over you or spoken to you before. And, and, and normally Barry will say something like this. I sense the Lord doing this, or I, I see that the Lord might be saying this or, 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 or might be doing this, but then he'll say something like, but you need to weigh this against your, your, the, the scripture and your community, people that are close to you. You, you hear the humility there? feel like the Lord's saying this. I think the, light, the Lord might be doing this. You'll never hear Barry say, thus saith the Lord. Now go and do it. That would be a very arrogant use of that gift. So there's a humility in the way that he uses that gift of prophecy. And that's what we're going for. Number two, second seatbelt is patience. Patience with each other. Some based on their background, are gonna want us to speed up in the use of gifts in our experience with the Holy Spirit. And others are gonna be like, whoa, slow down there. And so we're going to expect patience with each other. Third, third seatbelt is grace. We're gonna have intentional growth and space for the use and the growth in gifts in other environments. Not necessarily in here. We think this is a place for the mature expression of the gifts, but in things like our prayer gathering, small groups, our united prayer night, we will allow and give grace for some growth in your gift. Barry has often given words here that, that freak me out. I'll just be honest. Uh, it's probably a year ago, maybe that Barry came up and said, Hey, I feel like the Lord's telling me that there's someone here in red shoes that needs that. And I was like, oh gosh, here we go. Um, he's calling out colors and clothing items, you know, and everything. And it just, it just like made me, I'm just gonna be honest. Like it made me super nervous, but you know what? There was two or three people that day with red shoes on and the Lord spoke to them at whatever Barry said that day. It's not something I would have done. It's not something I would have said. Probably not even something I was really ready for but we have grace with each other in the use of our gifts. But then fourth, fourth seatbelt is discernment. Discernment. 
We're not called to gullibility, to believe every word. No, we're called to test and discern every spirit and every word. So we don't despise the gifts, but we also are not gullible. We don't give in and just believe everything that we're told. No, we're told to test everything. So in this seatbelt of discernment, I wanna tell you what we're not going for. We are not going for the prosperity gospel. If you've been around here for any length of time, you know this is true. You know this about me. We are not health, wealth, and prosperity. We do not believe that if you have enough faith, you're gonna get healed. And if you have enough faith, you're gonna be prosperous. And if you have enough faith, you're gonna get a bunch of money and you're gonna be rich. That, that is not who we are. We are not going for word of faith where if you claim something, it's gonna happen. If you have enough faith, then something's gonna happen. We're not about national prophecies about elections and governments. We're not about Benny Hinn and Kenneth Copeland or Cap Kerr and her trips to heaven. We're not into new age mysticism. We never will be. We probably won't ever have traveling apostles and prophets here because we just don't believe that's the best use of the gifts. We wanna see those gifts within our church that are here and submitted to our leadership. So when we talk about discernment, that also means when the gifts aren't used properly, our leadership will bring correction. That's discernment. Great example of this was some years ago, I saw Barry at one of our prayer gatherings tell someone who came up and gave a word on a microphone in that gathering, brother, that's, that word's not for us. And then he told the church why that word was not for us. That's discernment. And when a gift is used in error in public, it will require correction. But with that correction is grace. Because we're all going to use our gifts imperfectly. Fifth seatbelt is order. We're not going for a free-for-all. We're not going for chaos. We're not trying to get everyone to speak in tongues because they won't. It's a gift. But like Paul is very clear about in 1 Corinthians 14, we're going for an orderly use of the gifts. And then finally, sixth seatbelt over all of them is love. Love. You know, the test of the correct use of the 1 Corinthians 12, the 1 Corinthians 14 gifts, rightly using the gifts, the test is how well you are loving your brothers and sisters in Christ and the use of your gift. It's why Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, in between 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 about the use of the gifts, as if love covers over everything. Our love for Christ and our love for each other will be the test of us rightly using our gifts. We've said here for years, the kind of church we're going for is a church of the word and spirit, of the wind of the Holy Spirit on that sailboat, filling that sail and the rudder on that sailboat, guiding us and keeping us in line. As we said before, all word and no spirit and you dry up, but all spirit and no word and you blow up, but enough of both and you grow up. And so we're going after all the gifts of the Holy Spirit in operation, submitted to the word, submitted to our leadership. We're praying that God would transform us by his truth and with his word. And we're praying as they did in Acts 4 for God to stretch out his hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of his holy servant, Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, we are a church that needs the Holy Spirit. 
We, we need the wind of the Holy Spirit to come and to blow in this place and, and, and baptize some in the Spirit for the very first time as they cry out in faith to Christ and to fill others, especially those of us who've grown cold, who've grown apathetic, who've become insensitive to the Holy Spirit. God, would you baptize some in the Spirit for the first time? Would you fill the rest of us with your Holy Spirit? God, we need you to move by the Holy Spirit in us and on us and through us. And so if you're here right now, just heads bowed, eyes closed, and you're like, man, I don't know what to do about all this Holy Spirit talk because I'm not really even sure I have the Holy Spirit. It's because you've never given your life to Jesus before. And the reason you're here right now is that the Holy Spirit of God right now is drawing you to himself. The hound of heaven is after you right now. And it's why your heart is opening up to the gospel. It's why even right now, you're, you're in spite of maybe doubt and questions, you're, you're beginning to trust and you're beginning to believe. And it's in this moment that the Holy Spirit is drawing you to himself that you might cry out in faith and believe the gospel for the very first time that Jesus died for you on that cross. He paid the fine for your sin. He rose three days later from that grave, conquering your sin and conquering death. And the scripture says, if you would confess that Jesus is the Lord of your life and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And some of you are here right now and that needs to be your decision to commit your life to Jesus for the very first time. If that's you, pull out that connection card that's in the seat back in front of you, fill it out, check that box that says, I'm committing my life to Christ. Take it to our welcome center in the lobby. We've got a free gift for you. We wanna pray with you, point you in the right direction from here. But then for the rest of us, we need to pray that God fills us with his spirit that he produces the fruit of the Holy Spirit in us, that we grow in our giftings of the Holy Spirit. So just, just right now, would everybody just stand up right where they're at? And, and as you stand, I wanna invite you to, to, to do something that, that represents your openness and your desire for the Spirit to move in you and on you. Would you just put your hands up in the air like this, palms up if you feel comfortable. And, and all it is is just kind of a, a, a posture of surrender, of desperation, of desire. And as you put your palms up in the air, you're just praying, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Work in me and through me with your Holy Spirit. Produce the fruit of the Spirit. Maybe as we were talking about the fruit of the Spirit, you see that, 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 that you're struggling with one right now. Pray that that fruit of the Spirit would be manifest in your life. Pray that the Holy Spirit would help you identify your gift and, and grow in your giftings. As we worship, our prayer teams are gonna be up here at the front. They're here to pray with you. And if God's moving or speaking to you, Right now, I wanna pray that you get up out of your seat. I wanna challenge you, get up out of your seat and let one of our prayer team members pray over you. And they're gonna pray that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit. They're gonna pray that the fruit of the Spirit would be manifest in your life. They're gonna pray that you would be uh, identifying and growing in your gifts of the Holy Spirit. So, so don't let this moment by. If the Holy Spirit's moving in your heart, get out of your chair, come and pray with one of our prayer team members. They'd love to pray for you. God, let your spirit, the wind of the Holy Spirit blow in this place. Come upon us, move in us, fill us with 
your Holy Spirit. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.